0: In his letter to the Colossians, uh, Paul says, As you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Just as you have received Christ, continue to live your lives in him, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in Eucharist. One of the things that we're going to look at today, um, part of the good news that that, um, we want to fix our attention on, is that uh, if you've been a part of our church or an Anglican church for very long, you know that the Eucharist, the table, communion with God, uh, is a central part of what we do. But what Paul proclaims to to these Colossian believers, and what he proclaims um, to all Christians is the fact that Eucharist isn't just something that we take on Sundays, that we can actually live Eucharistically. We can walk in the Eucharist. Christ the King, the good news, is that the fullness of the life and love of God dwell in Christ. The fullness of the life and the love of God dwell in Christ Christ. And Christ exposes all empty paths, all empty ways, all empty life sources that draw us out of the life and the love of God. Christ exposes all of these. And so that means in a world longing for fullness, in a world grasping for substance, but filled with sound and fury filled with with anxiousness and fear and uncertainty about what the future holds the good news is that we don't have to live in antagonism we don't have to live in fear or in guilt or in shame we have received the fullness of God's life and love in Christ and we can walk in it today Christ the King, we don't have to live in antagonism, in fear and guilt and shame. We have received the fullness of the life and the love of God in Christ, and we can walk in it today. We can walk in it today. How many uh, of you guys are familiar with Toy Story? Maybe some of you guys have seen the new Toy Story movie. You and are you familiar with Toy Story? Did I get an amen back there from Ewan? Is he? Awesome. In a toy story world, toys are living beings. But they pretend to be lifeless around humans. In the toy story world, the life, the meaning, the purpose of these toys is derived from bringing joy to kids. Being... Joined to kids in play, being with them, communing with them with kids in play, uh, as the the toy story saga opens up in the first uh, installment of the Toy Story story, uh, we find out that andy Andy is a kid, and Andy has his toys and andy 's toys are in a crisis andy 's toys are in a crisis the family is moving, there's a birthday party, and the other toys fear that they will be replaced. And their fear is confirmed when, uh, through a reconnaissance mission, they find out that in fact a new, fancy, flashy uh, toy has arrived, Buzz Lightyear has arrived. This is quite threatening to them. It's threatening to their sense of purpose and meaning. It throws them into a a bit of a crisis. In fact, what's worse is that Buzz is delusional, right? Buzz actually believes that he really is this hero character in a made-up story crafted for commercial purposes, that he really is Buzz Lightyear saving the universe. And this is bad news, not just because he can replace... Uh, their role with Andy, but also because uh, he seems to disrupt this idea that the meaning in life and purpose and, and being comes from the very communion as a toy with a kid. Buzz is delusional. So reality hits Buzz hard, if you remember the story, as Buzz discovers the truth. Buzz discovers that he is just one of many commodities within an industrialized toy world. He doesn't know who he is anymore. He struggles for meaning and purpose. In the second uh, toy story, uh, we've Woody, one of the main characters, this uh, cowboy, he gets injured. Uh, his arm falls off which is, of course, threatening to his identity and purpose. And through a set of unfortunate circumstances, uh, Woody ends up in the house of a toy collector. And Woody, too, also discovers in the house of this toy collector that he, too, is a character in a fictionalized TV production, just a cog in this larger industrialized toy universe. In fact, some other characters, some other toys from, from Woody's Roundup are there. And they're just showing him reality. He struggles with reality. And one of these characters with some nefarious purposes, uh, the prospector, tells him, tries to convince Woody that in a world where kids grow up, where you can't be sure of the future, where the world is constantly changing and you don't know what your relationship is going to be like with the person that you care about the most, that the best thing to do in that kind of world where kids grow up is to be in a museum. And so he tries to convince him to, to pull away from the source of his life and meaning and purpose and just to be in a museum. And then in the fourth installment, I know I'm skipping the third, Sorry for that. We can talk about this. I took a deep dive into Toy Story this week. If you guys want to talk about it later, we can. But in the fourth installment of Toy Story, um, there's a new character. There's this uh, this spork, you know, like the combination of a fork and a spoon. You get a spork. Um, well, there's a spork, and, and one of the new characters, the new uh, little kids, Bonnie, um, has made this spork into a toy. And by making this spork into a toy, has infused this inanimate object with... Life, And so the spork, uh, known as Sporky, comes alive And and then uh, Sporky starts to have an existential crisis Because he realizes his origin And so part of the plot of of the fourth installment of Toy Story Is that Woody is constantly trying to keep Sporky um, From destroying himself (laughs) From throwing himself out of a vehicle Because he realizes that he's just a spork And even though, even though that Sporky is Bonnie's most cherished possession, even though that Sporky, even though that Bonnie delights in Sporky, Sporky can't imagine that his life can have purpose and meaning in life. And so he's just trying to throw himself out the window, throw himself away. Why am I alive? He wonders. In the Toy Story world, the toys live in constant anxiety that their lives will no longer have meaning. They are aching for purpose, for fullness, for renewal in a commodified world that's constantly shifting where their future is uncertain, where it's constantly under threat of being taken captive by others with nefarious purposes who want to pull them away from their source of life. Christ the King, do you ever feel like you're living in this world? The good news today, Christ the King, is that in a world that's grasping for substance, but it's filled with sound and fury and uncertainty about the future, we don't have to live in antagonism. We don't have to live in fear or in shame or in guilt. We have received the fullness of God's life and love in Christ. And today, we can walk in it. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul is speaking to a community um, who are living in a society that's searching for fullness. It's a long time ago, but this, this society, this first century Mediterranean world in Colossae, it's not all that different from today. It's, it's people who are searching for fullness, who are searching for substance. And Paul is writing to this community that um, they're new Christians. They're trying to negotiate. They're trying to to work out what does it mean to live in light of the fact that we declare that Jesus is Lord. This is what it what it meant um, explicitly to follow Jesus from the beginning was was to declare that Jesus is Lord, and um, to declare that Jesus is Lord wasn't just this private thing. It wasn't just this thing that you did in your heart behind closed doors. That the only way that someone would know about it is, this, is that if you volunteered that information to them. To declare that Jesus was Lord had very public consequences. And so for this, for this new community, this community gathered around Jesus' presence, they're trying to figure out how to deal with the consequences, the very public, the very social, the very identity-making consequences of the fact that they now declare that Jesus is Lord and a whole lot of other Lords are not. People would have been asking questions. Their neighbors would have been asking questions. The magistrates, the city officials would have been asking questions. Even some of um, the, uh, the Jews in the synagogue who, who weren't following Jesus as Messiah, they would have been asking questions and offering solutions. And so everyone, they're living in this world of, of, of this question, what brings fullness? What, what brings substance? What brings life? Does, does Rome, does the political reality of Rome, does Rome bring fullness? Does paying homage to the emperor, to Caesar, does that, does that bring us fullness? does worshiping artemis or apollo does that bring fullness does using folk magic does that bring fullness does submitting our bodies to strict religious practices where we shout down unwanted desires and punish ourselves physically does that bring fullness does capitalism bring fullness does socialism bring fullness Does nationalism bring fullness? Does being a Democrat, a Republican, or a Libertarian, does it bring fullness? Does being free to become the best you, does that bring fullness? This is the world into which Paul is proclaiming, simply, the gift of God's life. Jesus Christ, the gift that you received, you can walk in that today into this world, aching for fullness, Paul proclaims simply the gift of God's life, Jesus Christ, the gift that you received. It's not just a thing to receive. It's not just a thing to accept into your heart. It's not just a mental assent. It's not just a thing that you get that matters for later. This gift that you received, which is God's life, you can walk in it today. You can live in that today. Jesus is sufficient, not just to save your soul from bad stuff, but Jesus is sufficient for a whole way of life. You can live, you can walk inside this gift of God's life. In fact, this has been the mission that God has been on all along to restore back to creation the very gift of his life, the very gift of his presence as life, the very gift of creation as the gift of his life. This has been the mission that God has been on since the beginning. You have received that gift. You can live inside of it. You can trust it. You can put your weight into it. You can pledge your allegiance to it. You can walk in it. You don't have to be taken captive, Paul says, to empty philosophies. The imagery that Paul um, is evoking here is that like you don't have to think that like you've that everything is defeated. You don't you don't have to you don't have to live as if the, the, the dark powers that we see swirling around us, all the junk, all the mess, all the nonsense, you don't have to live as if those things have won and give yourself over to be dragged off into whatever life that they want to create for you. You don't have to be taken captive by empty philosophy. And I know we've got uh, multiple, like, legit philosophy degreed philosophers in here, right? Paul's not talking about uh, the academic discipline of philosophy. So, you're good. (laughs) What Paul is talking about... uh, Yeah. What Paul's talking about by philosophy is just a way of life. A way of putting together life. A way of living. A way. A way that, that... Of wisdom that defines everything that you do with the way that you think, the way that you live, shapes everything, a system of thinking and living. And Paul is saying that these systems of thinking and living, that, that without Christ, inasmuch as they aren't anchored in Christ as the fullness of God's life, that without Christ, that these systems, they don't have any substance to them. That, that there's, It's just all sound and fury. It's just all flailing around there's no substance to them they keep us living in death there is no redemptive renewing power to them even as religious as they may seem if they are not anchored in christ as the source of god's love and life they're empty they draw us out of the life and the love of god so think about think about something like the american dream or or individualism or nationalism. Or the idea that, that I am what I do. Or I am what I have, and I'm not worth much if I don't. Or I need more in order to be okay. Like entire systems, entire lives are built on these philosophies. And Paul is saying to the degree that they are not anchored in the life and the love of God um, revealed in Christ, that they have no substance to them, and they are pulling us out of the life and the love of God. And so Paul is saying that these philosophies, what we do when when we are taken captive by them, when we give ourselves over to them, what they tend to do is they tend to nurture antagonism. They tend to nurture fear that there's not enough. They tend to to nurture guilt, that you haven't done enough. They tend to, to nurture shame, that you are not good enough. And so Paul is saying that because of what Jesus has done, you don't have to walk in that anymore. As powerful, as strong, as strong as the vortex of those philosophies seem and the worlds that they create, you don't have to live in that anymore. You don't have to trust it. You don't have to put your weight into it. You don't have to pledge allegiance to it. You can walk in Christ. Walking, um, so in, in our translation, in the, in the printout that you have, it says live. Live, the, the word that Paul is using there is actually walk. You can walk in it. And this, the reason it's translated live is like the image here is like a way of life. It's, it's what you do with your body. It's a way. In fact, in, in ancient uh, Judaism and modern Ju- Judaism... Um, There was a word that they used uh, to describe teaching um, what the Torah taught about how to live. The halakha. I didn't pronounce that well. Forgive me, all you Hebrew experts out there. But this was teaching about about how to live. And the the translation of that Hebrew word is, is walk, is way. And the thing was, is being God's people, in in the Jewish mind, to be God's people was not just a set of things to believe. It wasn't just a set of doctrines or rules to tick off. What it was, was it was a way to walk. It was a way to live your whole of life, all the details of your life, minute by minute, day by day. And so there were, there were rules. There were, there were um, ways uh, to, for everything, from everything from how to offer sacrifices for sin to how to cook your food. I mean, some of you guys are familiar with, with these details. These were not arbitrary rules. These were not meant to be arbitrary rules, but what they, what they were was a description of what it looked like to experience the abundance of God's life in the midst of a world of death. It was a way of walking, of living, a way of minute by minute, day by day, being open to putting your body into the abundance of God's life, experiencing God's life in a way of death. And so what, what happened is that the halakha transformed even the most ordinary aspects of life, cooking, into a way to be rooted and nourished in the life and the love of God. And it is Jesus who is the culmination of all of that truth. In Jesus is the life, the fullness of the life and the love of of God. It all dwells in Him. We can walk in Him as the way. And how do we do that? Paul says, he uses this phrase, he says, by abounding in thanksgiving. The word that we use to describe communion is Eucharist, and Eucharist is the Greek word for for thanksgiving. It's the fancy Greek word for thanksgiving. So Paul is saying, we walk in Christ By abounding in Eucharist. By living Eucharistically. And we can do this because the fullness of God, of the life and the love of God, dwells in Christ bodily. Dwells in Christ bodily. Jesus is not just a concept for us to grasp. He's not just a ticket for something later. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus bodily. And that means that we meet Jesus present with us in our bodily, concrete, daily life existence. And we can do this. We can abound in Eucharist. We can live Eucharistically because, Paul says, Jesus, through the cross, has done three things. Jesus has exposed the emptiness of all the other ways. Triumphing, that's hard to say, um triumphing? Triumphing? Triumphing over them. He's also crucified the power that these ways have to accuse us and to condemn us. And he's also made us alive together with him. So, Jesus exposed. He un- unveiled the emptiness. The imagery here that Paul is talking about is this image that it's kind of like the emperor has no clothes. Like Jesus, through, through Jesus' work on the cross... Because through the cross, through the incarnation, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, because that reveals the heart and the way of God and thus reveals the very grain of the universe, it actually exposes, it unveils, it strips as naked and empty all the other powers and principalities and philosophies that draw us out of the life and love of God. It just exposes them for what they are. A lot of sound and fury, but no substance. And so they don't it disarms them. What that does is when it, it disarms the power that they have to weaponize antagonism and fear and guilt and shame in our lives. Are you tracking with me? Because of the exposing of the lack of substance, the emptiness of them, it disarms them from weaponizing antagonism and fear and guilt and shame in our life. And so all the, the weapons of 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 be afraid, you haven't done enough. You aren't good enough. There's not enough. Jesus has crucified the power that those stories have to shape our lives. They're empty, Christ the King. And the good news is that we don't have to walk in them today. We don't have to walk in them. Our lives are now marked. Paul uses the language of of spiritual circumcision. Thanks, Paul, for getting real there. We're marked, we're included, we're renewed as the people of God into the life of God. And so we can live Eucharistically, we can live out the Eucharist. And this isn't just about an inner attitude. It's not, it is about being thankful. It is about gratitude. It is about feeling grateful and thinking about being grateful. It does include those things, but it's not limited and exhausted in those things. It's gratitude, yes, but it's more than an attitude. It's a life of responsiveness. Of living responsive to the reality that Christ has offered himself as the life of the world. And that life... Has, has been made available to us. We've received it, Christ. Or Paul says. This living Eucharistically, living thanksgivingly, gratitudinally, it's about responsiveness to the reality that Jesus has offered himself as the life of the world, and that is made available for us today to walk in wherever we are. And so give, living Eucharistically means it's a whole life. It's imitating everything that we do in here during our worship service. It's a whole life offered to God to be transformed in God's presence by Jesus' life. Minute by minute, day by day. It's living as if God really has and really will offer his life to us today as a gift. Putting our weight into it, trusting it, pledging our allegiance to it where we need to most. It's living with hands open to receive this. This is how we begin to make sense of ourselves and our world. And so today, Christ the King, when we face all the craziness, all the injustice, all the sound and fury, when we face, in a big sense and also in our own lives, an uncertain future, we don't have to walk in antagonism. We don't have to walk in the yes and them. We don't have to walk in the fear that there's not enough, or the guilt that you haven't done enough, or the shame that you are not enough. We don't have to walk in those. We don't have to give ourselves over, be taken captive by other sources of life. We have received the gifts of God, a gift of God's fullness of his life and love in Christ, and we can walk in it today. There's this little um, thing that happened to me, actually, today, that sort of like capture this, um, both like literally and also by analogy, um, I've been doing this, this cycling thing, um, riding um, every day for the past 21 days. Um, and today was my last day, my 21st ride. And so I come, our street is like a long street, and I'm um, finishing the last like 100 yards, and I'm huffing and puffing and sweating and feeling like I just want to die. Uh, and as I approach the house um, that I'm pulling up to, uh, Carolisa and the girls are out there um, with signs um, that they made and waving streamers and cheering for me. And um, they've made a handcrafted trophy for me. And it was, I was just so, like all the junk in me was so disarmed by this unexpected gift of love and i thought to myself like as i'm just trying to receive it that this isn't just like a one time thing like i can receive i can receive that as a gift in that moment but it's not just a one time thing i can actually walk in this are you tracking with me i can actually live my life in this This is the invitation today. Christ the King. It means that we can just notice. We can go out into our world and we can just notice. We can notice all the stuff that's in us. We can notice all the stuff, the craziness that's swirling around us. But we don't have to be taken captive by what we notice in us and what we notice around us. We can resist it as an empty philosophy in the ways that those want to weaponize antagonism and fear and guilt and shame. And we can walk in the love of God in Christ. Is there an empty philosophy that you feel like is drawing you out of the life and the love of God today? Maybe uh, it's just as simple as like there's a place in your life where you're experiencing confusion or the, the deconstruction of something. Something just has fallen apart and it doesn't look like it could be what it used to be. Or, or maybe it's just an uncertain future. Maybe it's doubt. Christ the King, the good news today is that Jesus has done all the work. <laughs> he just invites us to walk in him, with him. That's it. I've, I heard someone say not too long ago that I, I'm not so sure about my life anymore and all this Christianity stuff and even like what religion is all about, but I can take the Eucharist. And so that's the invitation today. Can you walk in it? I invite you um, to respond. Um, Two ways to respond.